lot of time. Quarter road for Moore. Got it. Touchdown, even with the flags. Second touchdown toss from Mike Riley in this second quarter. Restore the Roar is a podcast hosted by Michael Ball and features Lions broadcaster and former quarterback Julio Caravana. Each week, this duo will tackle issues involving the BC Lions and the CFL. In each installment, they'll also highlight a player, coach, or builder at the amateur level in the province and take a trip down memory lane in the Lions Legends segment. Now, here's Ballsy. And as always, we start this Restore the Roar first quarter with our buddy Julio Caravana. How are you today, my friend? I'm good, bud. How are you? Doing well. So, uh, what are you... I know you haven't done the eyeball test on the team yet. I'm like you, I think... Now, you've been in a pro camp as a player. I haven't, so we're not the same that way. But I think we're the same mentality. I never get excited too early at training camp when guys are talking about this guy making a catch or this guy looks (laughs) good. I mean, it's way too early to tell yet. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, You know, I, I won't lie. Like, you know, over the years... You know, I, I used to go to training camp for the first kind of week, and I kind of learned over the years that, and, and a lot of that had to do with the preseason game, right? Because usually the preseason game, especially the first one, was pretty much all rookies. A lot of the veterans stayed home, and you needed to know who was who just to be able to, you know, have a decent broadcast because, you know, you want to know a little bit about all the guys that are out there. So I, I found that, you know, more about that. So, you know, given the situation this year and, and how different training camp is and the fact that there is no preseason i'm really going to focus more towards the end of training camp i'm going to head up there at the end of the month before uh they have their last scrimmage and before they head into week one because i think that's going to be way more a stronger indication of what we're going to have in week one when it's when it's happening for real so i'm keeping a very close eye like i'm in contact with a couple of people up there on a daily basis just finding out you know what's happening how are things looking um how how certain guys look um you know has anybody kind of jumped out at them but even now they're a little bit more reserved in telling you that oh you know this guy's done this or this guy's done that because they they really haven't seen that much uh they're they're going to wait for some of these inner squad games to to kind of get a a better idea of who's who how many inner squad games are they having do you know i think they're going to have i want to say they're going to have one a week so uh, you know i mean i would imagine this coming week and the other thing, too, though, uh, Ballsy, is this, is that it, it's a good it, – what it does also, it, it, it makes things different for practice, right? You want to have a more, like, game-like competitive scenario and setting up these kind of inter-squad games where there's no coaches on the field. It's not like a practice. There's going to be tempo. There's going to be referees, all that kind of stuff. You want that because I'm telling you right now, and we've talked about this a couple times, you're going to have to change things up, right? A month is a long time for these guys to be in the same spot, doing the same thing every single day. So, you know what, this week, I think every week, from what I understand, they're going to do something competitive on the weekend to have, you know, more of a game-like scenario. I've always said this about this part of the season and preseason as well, when you played a preseason game. It's weird because... You wear the same jersey at this point, but you're not on the same team, right? Like that's the mentality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like you're yeah. you're you're all the BC Lions, but you're Julio Caravada and he's I don't know Roy DeWalt or whatever Doug yeah. Flutie. Yeah, like you're yeah. not you're not you're not exactly a team yet. No, no, and you're fighting for your life, right? Like there's you know you, you know you, I think 
when you're when you're an established veteran like Brian Burnham and and Michael Riley and 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 these guys are are these guys are established vets, Sook right? Chung, they're, yeah, they're those go- kind of guys. Yeah, yeah, those guys are those guys are locks, right? But you're right with every other, especially with the rookies, like they're trying to be a team and trying to that create that camaraderie. But at its core, um, you're you're competing with the guy beside you for a livelihood for for a check, mm-hmm. and so that's you know that's the harsh reality, you know. The other part of this whole equation now is, and I used to say this when when preseason games were happening, was that it's a brutal process. It really is because your window to impress is so small. Um, you know, for a lot of these guys, um, you know, they're now going to have to impress in, in inner squad and in practice. Um, but that window is so small, and especially too for guys if they get off to a bit of a slow start. Um, nerves, whatever it is, um, it's and you don't practice well. You know you can get behind the eight ball really fast. Yeah, and no, and, sure. and and it's hard to dig yourself out, right? Mm-hmm. Like you hope that you can get into a game and show, hey, this is what I can do in a game. But then even in a game, you know, you're talking about like such a a, a small window of opportunity to impress. Well, think about that, this. Think about this. Jeff Garcia had a an illustrious yeah. career in the CFL, and they went to the NFL for over a decade. Okay. I heard a story from Roy Shivers, who was with Calgary at that time. He and Wally Buono had a conversation, and it basically came down to a half of football in the preseason, Jeff Garcia against the Sacramento Goldminers. They were ready to cut his ass, and he led them on three touchdown drives, and it would be a meaningless preseason game against the Goldminers. They decided to keep him, and the rest is history. That's the fine line. Ballsy. The same thing happened to Mike Riley. Mike Riley was as good as gone here. I was. The, I remember doing the game. We did the second preseason game. We were at Empire, and 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 Riley was. You know, I mean, all of a sudden Riley came into the game. We're just like, you know, Mike's going to have to really. And boom, boom, two t- two touchdown drives. He had about forty five yards in rushing, and we were like, wow, that's what saved him. Yeah, and it happens a lot. It it's happens the, a lot. It's the ultimate right? reality TV show. It There's is. no doubt about it. Hey, I got to ask you this though, because I asked Coach Dickinson this. In 2019, his first year as a head coach, and then, of course, hard to believe he didn't get to his second year till now, but I asked him back then in a normal training camp, would it be fair to suggest 75 to 80% of your team is already picked when you come to camp? And he said, well, depending on the team on average, that's probably a fair assumption. So would you agree with that? And I wonder if it's yes. different, and I wonder if it's even worse this year. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I agree with that totally. I think that when you go to training camp, I, I think those coaches are going through um, the film. They know what they have coming back, um, and they, they have a very, very strong idea on what their roster is going to look like. And so that's, again, another very harsh reality for a lot of these young guys and how, how much you have to impress uh, in order to crack a roster. So, I, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that. I You know, in, in most you know, when the eight years that I played, I, very rarely would you see, you know, not very rarely, I wouldn't say it. You had maybe one or two guys that would surprise you at training camp and they would make your roster. And then some of those other guys, they would be on the practice roster. Um, but as far as the active set roster, there was very, very, you know, I think very few surprises of having guys that, you know, sh- jumped out at you on at, uh, at training camp. And I can think of one guy. Mm-hmm. That comes to mind right away, and that's Cam Wake. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. When Cam Wake when Cam Wake came to training camp, 
you know, I mean, the first two days of practice, you're just like, oh, my God, like, who is this guy? And he went from that to where he went. Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, I mean, those those are rare, rare stories. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Julio, so uh, you look at this team, did they do enough on the offensive line, do you think? We won't know until yes. we, 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 we won't know till the bullets start flying for real, but do you think they retooled enough to be better yes. there? Yeah? Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, here's a couple of things, uh, Ballsy, is that one – Okay, I think one of the big big problems there, and, and I hate I hate you know I don't want to throw Brian Chu under the bus, but his coaching style wasn't working with the group that they had. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kelly Bates comes in and all of a sudden injects a new style, and 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 the best part about that is that because they were so down and because they had had no success, they really kind of gravitated to him because they were so willing to they needed it and wanted it to work so badly because they were embarrassed about the way they were playing. And so, you know, that offensive line when Kelly took over really, really, it was 180 degrees difference. So they were playing better back then at the back half of the year. So all of a sudden now you look at, you look at the scenario and I think you've got a couple of different things. You bring in Riker Matthews, right. who was an all-star at right tackle with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I think he auto- automatically solidifies that side because that's, that's a proven commodity. Okay, you know what you're getting from him at the right tackle spot. The other guy that I think is going to be a real key here, and, and, and I think that the way that his, his, the beginning of his BC Lions career went, he was very, very unhappy with it, was Suk Chung. Yeah. Suk Chung underperformed. Um, he got a big contract at free agency. He didn't perform to what I think a lot of people thought he was capable of, and I think you're going to get a guy who's got a real nasty edge to him and who's going to be a lot hungrier this go-around. So I think he's out to prove what kind of player that he is. And then you look at the other side, you look at Hunter Stewart. He's a guy that's been around the league. You know what, uh, Joel Figueroa, you know, he's another guy that's been very, very rock solid at that left tackle. The, the bigger question mark to me is Peter Godber, who's going to, who's going to play center. Um, that's who I think is going to be, you know, the, the guy that they're going to look to right now. They went with three Americans down the stretch because things were so bad there. But I think they really like Godber in there. He had had some injury issues, but they like him. And from all indications, from what I hear going into camp and at camp now to this point, he's looked really solid there. Lots to break down here. Let's flip to the other side of things. And I just want to concentrate before we go here on the secondary. It's going to be a lot of question marks up front. Could have an all-Canadian linebacking core. we got lots to talk about there. But in the Mm -hmm. secondary with Ryan Phillips, the former ball-hawking defender for the Lions as the coach, you've got Gary Peters and TJ Lee. It starts with those two guys on the back end. There's some, uh, you know, very reliable players. And then the off-season shopping, you mentioned Riker Matthews. How about Marcus Sales? There's a nice addition, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, uh, he's a guy that, uh, again, is a proven proven commodity, right? A guy that you know can play half. I think he can play the weak side. He can play the strong side. Another guy that I have heard, that has played a little bit of halfback and looks really good. And although I do think they most likely are going to play him at safety was Anthony Chopper. Yeah, that's a nice pickup. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's another guy that I think Rick 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 Campbell had in Ottawa that really liked him. He's a versatile guy. And then Kenny Ladler is another guy who is very very you can you can really kind of mix and match those kinds of players like play him at the strong side at the Sam or you can move them to safety. And I really like, that's one of the things I really like about having some of that versatility with those kinds of guys, because the one thing you, you know, you want to be able to do is, is, is show different looks and they have versatile enough guys in the back end that they can show 
a lot of different looks and drop a guy into a, a, a certain spot. You talked about the Canadian, uh, you know, at linebacker that Jordan Williams apparently looks very good. He's getting more and more comfortable right. every single day, and that and he they say he's a a sideline to sideline linebacker, and and everything that I hear. Um, is telling me that they're, they're going to have him in the middle. Now the weak side linebacker should probably be Bola Cumble, of all things being equal, but they have some guys there like Isaiah Guslak-Messam, who was very good last year for them. Adam Konar comes back after having 18 months of, of you know ability to get healthy because that was one of the things that really kind of hampered his career. So they've got some depth there. Um, and then I think that the biggest the biggest thing – is going to see who emerges at the field side corner. Not that that's a like a yeah. a huge huge component to the defense, but you know what I mean, right? You got to have someone out there that you can trust and who can really read. And there's a number of I think uh, American defensive backs that have looked good up there. Um, that's a you know I'm, I'm anxious to see some of those guys and how they are progressing. Have you heard so, Have you heard much about like Canadians Anthony Thompson or or local kids yeah. like Matt McConnell? They, those guys fighting for uh, depth spots yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You mean those guys are all? You know what I mean? And I I would think. I mean, if if one of those guys can show that they can play that field side corner, um, and you know what I mean like and not get hurt out there, then they would love to do that, right? They would love to be able to do that, but yeah. you know what I mean we'll have to wait and see as far as you know where they're and that's another thing too. Like that's a. The ratio issue for them, I think they've got a pretty much a really kind of good idea of where they're going to go with their ratio. So, um, you know, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see. You know, the, hey, before I forget, because we're going to – I know we're going to talk a little bit about the probably the defensive line because that's another huge, huge yeah. part of this. Yeah, that, that that is huge. Like, it's, it's great to have a secondary, but if you got to cover for 12 seconds – Oh God, no! It doesn't matter. Hey, it doesn't matter if you got five all stars yeah. in the in the secondary. If you don't have the guys up front to get to the quarterback, you mean forget it. It ain't gonna work. So that's the that's it. they got Jr. Tavai and they got Chris Kasher. But you know, I mean, in, for most people, you mean that's not Charleston Hughes, no, right? That's not Micah Johnson, right? Those guys are are guys that have been in the league that are very serviceable that have good reputations for working hard and getting after the quarterback, but they're not dominant. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, I mean, some of these guys that they're bringing in, um, I know Lewis Neal, uh, I've heard his name. He's an interior defensive lineman that uh, spent some time. I think he went to LSU and then he spent some time with the Cowboys um, and he's looked very good. There's a couple of other guys that have, um, you know, stepped up a little bit, but again, I'm, I'm, I want to see with my own eyes. And then yeah. it's another thing too is, you know, you it, again. It, it's the it's the it's the practice to a game, right? Because we can talk all the old Alan Iverson, right? We're talking about practice, <laughs> right. right? But it's it, it's it's just there's the game moves so fast when it's happening for real, right? That some of these guys that are going to get thrown into the Canadian Football League for the first time, it's going to be a big shock for them. And who who can who can pace themselves through an entire game? It's all those variables are so so huge up front, and the one advantage now is that a lot of teams have realized the importance of that run. They're not just going with like six defensive linemen. Most teams will draft seven or eight guys to rotate through to make sure they've got fresh guys going at the quarterback because it's so important to all their defenses. Yeah, hundred percent right. Last question for you: When these Americans come up here. Like we were talking about this in Regina with Paxton Lynch, the Denver Broncos uh, cast off, the former first round pick. He, uh-huh. co- he comes here and he's saying all the right things, but let's be honest, dude made north of nine million bucks, 
And so he's probably going to make 60000 which he'd make in a quarter of work in a game. A quarter, like I'm talking one quarter in the NFL, all right? Um, I, I wonder sometimes if they come up here and they're like, well... I don't. They don't take it seriously enough. They the, they they look at this like a bush league. They get an eye opener pretty quick, don't they? Well, you said it. I've seen it too many times in my career, not only as a player, but I've seen it as you know, as for twenty two years. Is that, you know, I've seen many many quarterbacks that come up here who you look at their resume and you say they've been in the NFL for six or seven years as backups, and you know some of these guys have made probably ten twelve million dollars as backups. Right. And have thrown 22 passes in seven years, and a guy like Paxton Lynch, you know, I mean, and, and I'm sure, I, you know, I mean, I'm just speaking from past experience. I'm not saying this is what he's like, but some of these guys that come up here and think that they're going to get some, you know, some great film about themselves so they can send it back to the NFL and go back and get another shot, they're going to be in for a real reality check. I mean, this is no joke. Anybody that's been to the NFL and have come up here and played will tell you. Um, this is a very, very good football league, um, and the players up here are very good. And he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna find out very quick in practice that it's no joke. So if he comes up here with that kind of an attitude, he's gonna, he's gonna get it fixed real quick because um, he could be made to look very, very silly if he doesn't know what's going on. So um, I hope that a guy like this is comes up here with the right attitude and that he wants to maybe try to get back to the NFL. And by coming up here. And putting in putting in some work and, and putting in some game time and, and and get some good game tape that if he wants to try to go back, but if he has the attitude that he's just going to walk all over this because he's a former first round pick, we've seen too many of those stories. Um, you, need, you need a Doug you, know, Flute, you need a former BC line Doug Flutie to come here and just throw him, well, throw himself yeah. into it and invest and treat the game yeah, with but, reverence, right? Yeah, but ask 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 those guys. I mean, they'll tell you the exact same thing. I mean, they'll tell you. Ask Jeff Garcia. Ask all these guys. I mean, this is no joke. I mean, this is the second best football league in the world. Um, you know, it's not the XFL. It's not. A, it's it, you know. I mean, those guys will tell you that this is this is top level football. It's. I wish. And, I, I wish, dude. Just when you talk like that, okay? I wish we could pound that into the heads of a lot of fans that this isn't a bush league. I think they look at it as a nine-team little kind of minor league football league. It's only the difference is money. That's the difference. Yeah, that's exactly right. Money and a television contract, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, exactly. So, you know, you and I remember, I'll never forget Dante Marsh. And Dante Marsh, if people don't remember, Dante was a cornerback here in mm-hmm. B.C. for probably about 11 years one of the best cornerbacks that ever played the game. The guy was rock solid, like not only as a cover corner, but supporting the run. And I'll never forget when he first got here, I remember him saying after the second or third year that he says, you know, when I first got here, I thought I was going to come up here and just tear it up. And I was going to put a film package together and be right back down to the NFL. He goes, man, was I, was I shocked? Um, he goes, this is no joke. And anybody who comes up here and I, and I hear them talking, could you, you know some guys are probably shooting their mouth off in the, in the locker room about how they're going to do this and do that. Yeah, I bet a lot of those veteran players are going to go say, hey, man, just wait and see. I mean, this is, this is no joke. So, um, you know, I, I, I've seen it with my own eyes too many times and see too many guys come up here thinking that they're just going to – they think that this is a joke and, and they're, they're in for a big, big surprise. Well, this guy's no joke. We're happy to have him here and restore the roar. Thanks for this, uh, Julio, and we'll talk to you soon, man. See you, Ballsy. Thanks very much. How do we get more people taking the COVID vaccine? Easy. Instead of a shot in the arm, introducing COVID shots. 
Moderna is teaming up with Absolute Vodka to bring you Absolute COVID Jello shots. Choose from lemon, strawberry, watermelon, orange, or banana. Oh my God, I'm so wasted. And you, best immunization ever. Moderna's Absolute COVID Jello shots. Get yours at a bar near you. I can't feel my lips. After further review, it looks like the receiver didn't catch the ball, but he tried really, really, really super-duper hard to catch it. So, we're calling it complete and giving him a participation trophy. All right, we're here with one of the new faces at BC Lions camp. Andrew, say your last name for me. Potronich. Okay, so let's hope that's a household name soon. Hopefully, that's the plan. What's your uh, heritage? What's your background with a name like that? Croatian. I'm actually first-generation Canadians. Nice. How did you come to like the game of football? Like, Canadian football? Um. Well, right since I was born, soccer was pushed on me. Typical of a European background. But then, just playing uh, backyard football, I just grew to love it and kept on begging my mom to put me in it. One thing led to another. I got got the opportunity to play and loved it ever since around the age of six or seven. Have you always been a running back? Have you always been on the offensive side of the ball? Uh, I always hovered around the offensive side of the ball, but I actually started as a slot back because growing up, I was always a smaller guy until around high school where I hit a bit of a growth spurt and found out I could be a bigger man carrying the ball. So Andrew, for the BC Lion fans that haven't seen you play, uh, how big are you? I'm 5'10", 210. 5'10", Do you play like a ball of hate? Or are you? Uh, do you play with a chip on your shoulder? Describe your style of play for fans that won't get to see in the preseason, obviously. Yeah, I'm, uh, I play with a huge chip on my shoulder. I make the joke that it's not just a chip. It's a bag of Doritos I play with on my shoulder. I'm a gritty <laughs> player, and I make the most out of every opportunity I get. Where did, that sen- Where did that sense of humor come from? You seem like you're full of one-liners and have kind of like a joking around type of personality. Uh, with everything, you just got to enjoy uh, life and everything it throws at you. You got to have a good uh, good outlook on it or else it won't be a, a fun process. So I try to see the silver, silver lining in any uh, difficult process. So, but, but tell me, where did you learn that mentality from? I mean, I guess maybe you can develop it yourself, but you have to have somebody in your life that maybe uh, you look up to to show you that way to live. Yeah. Ever since I was young, my family uh, moved uh, to Canada from a war-stricken country in Croatia. So just from a young age, I knew uh, the difficulties of what life could be and the harder challenges of it. So having my mom and my brother in my corner that went through the difficult things they had to to give me a better opportunity, and my mom especially is the most uh, optimistic person I've ever met. So just developed that from her and always gave me that attitude that, like, things can always be worse, and you just, like, as fast as things come, as fast as they can be taken away. So you just got to be grateful for everything. It's a good way to look at it. Okay, so let's talk about uh, the challenge of coming to a professional football camp. What's it been like for you early on in Kamloops with the BC Lions? Off the bat, I was a little starstruck uh, just seeing a bunch of big names, big guys coming in. And But 
as it kind of progressed and I just got back to this is football. It's like riding a bike for me. And I had to take that element out of the game and just understand that that's training camp. People are all going through the same difficulties mentally and physically. And you just got to enjoy the process. Like I've been saying, and I'm enjoying it every step of the way and trying to learn everything I can to be as valuable and versatile as I can be. You had a crack with Carlton, then you played with Kamloops in the junior ranks, and of course with the Langley, uh, with the Langley Rams in junior football. We'll get to a couple of those accomplishments in a second. But what was besides the star-studded names and things like that? And what was the biggest eye-opener for you? Uh, the speed of the game, for sure. Not necessarily size of players or anything, but the game just—you got It's such a mental game where I just found from high school is like ninety percent physical. You go up in levels, university. It's uh, about 50 50 but now i would say like the game's like 75 percent mental you have to know where you are in your assignments and execute them and that's how you're going to play fast well and, and the mental side too i guess andrew in terms of uh always being at your best on every uh rep or at least trying to be because uh, you feel like you're fighting for your job in every rep i would imagine Exactly, 100%. So uh, talk about, uh, you know, coming from junior football. There was another guy, but he had a first name, Andrew. I think his last name is Harris. And he was a junior standout that really cut his teeth with the BC Lions and came on the scene. But you smashed his records in terms of single-season rushing touchdowns with, like, 27. Uh, is he kind of a guy you looked up to? Uh, Yeah, I definitely looked up to him from the aspect that he took the similar route. He kind of paved, well, he definitely paved the way of going through the junior route and making a career out of something in the CFL. So that was definitely it. And then just naturally people made comparisons because of the names and the records that I was breaking that were once his. But one thing I just tried to pride was, yeah, he did that and he set records for me to break, but I was very much always trying to make a name for myself and be my own player and be my own guy. And that last name again is? Potronich. <laughs> I want to ask you, during the pandemic, how did you become a better person slash player? Because they always say don't waste a crisis. It was a real long off season. Were there some dark days in there, uh, or how did you handle it? Uh, there was definitely a it was definitely a long process where there was a lot of self reflection, a lot of ups and downs. But there was and there was a lot of self talk where I had to stick to the script and understand what the plan was still what the plan still was but i enjoyed every part of it moving around training and one thing uh it definitely uh made me realize again what's very valuable and i was finally able just due to football and stuff i've always been on the go and haven't been able to spend family time like i want to and yeah this time around with COVID, i was able to train and spend time with my nieces my brother my mom which was a, yeah, just awesome experience. And I was glad I was able to do that and catch up on some lost time. How are you, Andrew, going to make this football team, do you feel? Uh, I got to know my assignments and execute them to the best of my ability and play fast. And that's a work in process, but I'm trying to learn multiple positions. So whatever my name is called, I can uh, go out and perform. And that's the goal, just to show the team that I can do whatever's asked of me. Obviously, when you're a young guy, you got to cut your uh, teeth on special teams. Were you much of a special teams guy in the junior days? Uh, when I played in Kamloops, they had me on a, a lot of specials. But then when I came to Langley, with the amount of carries I was getting, they 
decided it was probably best to give me some type of rest, which was special team. Mm-hmm. So uh, do they got you running any specials right now in camp? Uh, currently they have me on a couple scout teams and I'm just trying to give good looks right now for the guys on the specials. And I know my chance will come eventually and I'm going to be ready for it. You talked about learning a couple of different positions. Are you doing something other than running back? Did they got you running some slots, some fullback, a tight end? What do they got you doing? Yeah, they have me running a bit of a fullback and tight end at the moment, but I'm still learning the tailback plays just so I can be ready for that. And then I'm also trying to learn the play for the R slot receiver as well so I can just make myself as versatile as possible. Have you always been a studious guy? Have you always had your um, nose in the playbook, or is this something, uh, I don't want to say foreign to you, but just a little different? Uh, I've always tried my best to know the whole offensive concept just I really pride myself on the more you know the slower the game's gonna be to you but definitely stepping into this field with all the verbiage of the CFL and all the motions and everything it was uh, a whole different world and I guess that's why they call it the pros Mm. it's a tough year to make any CFL team so if you didn't make it it wouldn't be uh a, it wouldn't be a shocker, in my opinion, and B, it wouldn't be anything to be embarrassed about because there's two draft classes coming in for each team that haven't played. Uh, there's no preseason. Got a bunch of Americans trying to learn things. I know professional coaches, before they start a normal training camp, already have about 75 to 80% of their team picked. So I'm thinking it would be a lot even harder to make the team this year. Andrew, what, were, what was your realistic goal coming in here? I knew you're... I know you're a competitor. I could tell that talking to you. But what is your realistic goal coming in here, knowing that there are some pretty big odds stacked against you to make the team this year? Uh, yeah. I would, uh, to go back to one of your comments, I would be shocked not making a team. That's just a competitive nature in me. And anything I put myself in, I plan on being as successful as possible and being the best at it. So my expectations going into it is to... I shoot for the stars, so aspirations are very high and make the team uh, compete for Rookie of the Year awards, help the team win as much as they can and hopefully win a championship. And throughout my whole football career, through Carleton, through high school, I was always I was always the one with the odds stacked against me, and I've made it this far. And it's because of that uh, bag of Doritos on my shoulder. <laughs> I'm going to keep the same uh, mindset going forward. And to me, yeah, anything less than making a team is uh I would definitely be shocked and that's me being realistic about it and I wouldn't think uh, I wouldn't expect you to say anything different so I'm pleased you said that I guess I guess I was trying to form the question that way because a young guy trying to trying to make a team first pro camp in an unprecedented time coming out of a pandemic uh it, it you know the odds have never been stacked higher I guess where I'm going with this is how hard are you on yourself if you don't do the best you, you know, do how you expect to perform on each rep. If you kind of don't have the rep that you want, are you pretty hard on yourself? Or are you are you kind to yourself, for lack of a better way of putting it? Yeah, that's uh, one thing I'm trying to learn, especially in the pros, is, uh, yeah, there's, it's such a mental game and, like, some mistakes that's going to happen. And uh, I do carry myself to the highest standard, and I'm always wanting to be absolutely perfect but we know this isn't a perfect world so mistakes are going to be had and i just gotta 
I got to train myself more to move on to the next play. And that's one thing I'm working at. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the reps I do have, yeah, I uh, definitely eat at me when I know I could have uh, executed a certain way and would help me make, uh, give a better look and stuff. And I take that to heart and I try not to make the same mistake twice. Have, have other fellow running backs or other players been helpful to you and helping you with your assignments? Because it's kind of weird. You guys all quote unquote are BC lions, but you're all fighting for your lives in terms of a livelihood. So you're on the same team, but you're not a team yet. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you definitely feel that like everyone's competing and stuff, but at the end of the day, it's, we're all trying to make each other better. And I have definitely found some players and all the players have been very helpful to me. And then there's a specific few that have really taken me under their wing and been helping me with any question. And the coaching staff is uh, helping tremendously with any question that I have going into meetings and they clear it up immediately. And, and then it's on me to execute it. Is there anybody you can give us a name who, who, who has helped you so far? Yeah. Uh, both second-year guys, uh, both through the junior ranks too, but uh, Javon Katoy and Janelle Lyles. That's oh, nice. That's great. It's great to see that somebody else uh, recognized what they went through and are passing along their wisdom to you. How the coaches, in your opinion, are you getting a sense on how they feel you're doing? Yeah, they're, they're giving me coaching points, and they're understanding I'm in a new environment, playing a new position, so they are helping to the, uh, to the fullest, and it's and then, yeah, it's just on me to take those coaching points and apply it to the field. So they are super helpful and super supportive. Okay, I want to ask. I want to ask you. I want to ask you one more question, if I could squeeze it in here before you uh, yeah, have some downtime. I'm a nationalist, meaning I love Canada. I love uh, supporting Canadian players. I am all for protecting Canadian jobs. We should keep the ratio the way it is, or even increase it. You're a Canadian trying to make it in the Canadian Football League. Do you feel like a Canadian player out there, or do you feel just like one of the guys? Like, do you feel like you can match up? You know, that first day you maybe had the jitters, you're starstruck, like you said, your word's not mine, but now it's just football. Do you feel like you just fit in? Like, it, it doesn't matter? You're, you're just as good as these guys? Yeah, that's my mentality going into anything. I don't really look at it from an American-Canadian ratio. I just look at it as who's in my position, who am I competing against on the opposite side of the ball. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where anyone came from. We're all at the same spot currently. So got to make the most out of it. And that's how I view it. And a guy who is a Croatian who had soccer pushed on him. uh, You talk about star studded. Are you pinching yourself that you're in a professional football camp, regardless of how it goes, you are doing something that a lot of football players will never get a chance, not even a sniff to do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I definitely have that in the back of my head and just thankful for every opportunity that came my way. Also, knowing I worked for every opportunity that came my way, too. Mm-hmm. And that was just being a Croatian, first-generation stuff. My family came here to give me the opportunity. So mentally, I didn't want to squander that opportunity, and I worked for every situation. But I'm also grateful for it working out the way that I worked for it. Well, in this short 15-minute conversation, I've become a fan. I really like your attitude and mentality. I'm going to be cheering for you, buddy. Hopefully you make the squad and a continued success at training camp, okay? I appreciate it. It was a pleasure talking to you. Listen up, eh? This is an emergency message from the Canadian Health Administration, a.k.a. CHA, eh? All Canadians are warned not to let moose lick their cars. It makes them a little salty, eh?
Okay, that was a bad one, but how about these? What do you call a sleepy boy moose? A bulldozer. What do you call a celebrity elk? Fay moose. What do you call a moose that plays piano? A musician. What do you call a moose that's a classic composer? Amadeus Mozart. What do you call a moose with 20-20 vision? A good idea. That is all. Well, the cup is in the building. And you know what? If you're sitting on the, on the BC sideline, you're less than three minutes away from hoisting that thing up there. 43,827 here at McMahon. Allen carries it himself. The first down inside the 35. Remember, folks, he's 37 years of age. This is Lions Legends, a trip down memory lane with a player, coach, or builder that left their mark on BC Lions history. And this week in our Lions Legends segment, we catch up with Canadian Football Hall of Famer Damon Allen, who just recently entered into the Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching Fellowship Program, which is designed to give coaches opportunities to observe, participate, gain experience, and ultimately gain a full-time NFL coaching position. Last year, Henry Burris did the same thing and now has been hired full-time by the Bears. So Damon now will try to do the same thing with the Las Vegas Raiders. Of course, there's a tie-in there, as his brother Marcus is a Raiders legend. Let's catch up with the Hall of Fame quarterback. I've been real eager to talk to you, watched your career uh, for a number of years. Now, four Grey Cup championships. The first question I wanted to ask you, is that 2004 one at 41 years old when you break your leg, doesn't look like you're going to come back, and then you come back and lead the Argos to victory? Is that one maybe the most satisfying, or can you rank any of them? Well, I think they're all special. Uh, in the, and then it's the culture and the environment with which, which you're in that makes it the, the story that much greater, right? You know, from my first great coven in 87, uh, you know, coming off the bench and, you know, that is, is quite special because I think that's one of the things that actually started my career and, and gave me that confidence that I can be the player that I, you know, solely desire. So each one has their own unique story. Um, but the 2004 made it really special because um, uh, I was traded, and the way I was traded, um, and the way I left uh, BC, um, but to end up knowing that, uh, you know, I knew that we we're going to play the BC Lions uh, before before they actually played in and after our playoff game in the Eastern Final that year, uh, and the reporter asked me like, "Who you, you know you going to play?" And I said, "Yes, yeah, the BC Lions." I said, "Well." And how would you know that? And I said, I'd, you can't write this script. <laughs> and so that was basically what I said. And so, you know, leading up to it, it was, yeah, it was something that, like I said, you couldn't write in a book, uh, which makes it so much special. But not only winning the game, but also being the great cup MVP, you know, at 41 or 42 years old. So uh, that made me, that put the icing on the cake. Uh, what's it take to have that type of longevity? I think it's a combination of it all. I mean, it's, uh, it's your your preparation, your 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 motivation, and the passion you have about uh, you know every year getting better. Uh, and the same time, you're taking care of your body, right? And so, you know, that's probably the most difficult thing is 
as you get older in life, it's uh, more, um, it's the less time you have to take off uh, to prepare your body, right? So you end up happening. Uh, I mean, one of the things I've always did was, you know, based on my um, season, if I was healthy the following year, um, I would never stop actually take any time off. I would just continue on. You know, I may not go five days a week, but I would actually continue on doing two, three days a week of training uh, the whole year pretty much. And so I, I didn't take that month off or, 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 or two months off before you actually start going again. And, and that was when I started to get up, up in my ages. So I, I just realized that, you know, I came out this season healthy. I can continue with my training still. I got to ask you this. Uh, you were an unbelievable athlete. You were like you, so smooth. It looked like you weren't even trying out there at times when I, when I, <laughs> when I know you were, but it, it was like you were made out of an elastic the way you were running around, rushed for over a thousand yards, which is basically unheard of at the quarterback position. So let me ask you, did you ever, I don't know if you were referred to like this, but I know a lot of guys like you have been. He's an athlete that plays quarterback. Did you ever, or would you ever take that as a knock? No, I don't take that as a knock because um, um, those, those kind of players are uniquely, and, and it so happens to be I'm an athlete, but I actually can throw, I can make decisions, I can sit in the pocket and throw, and I can make you know, all the throws on the run, and I can throw any ball um, that, um, that a quarterback needs to, to understand and throw. And so, so, so someone would say that he's an athlete, but most, most, most of that kind of comment that he's an athlete that's playing quarterback um, doesn't um, doesn't give you those kind of other uh, attributes and, and those things. And so it so happens I'm an athlete that actually really can play the the quarterback position. This is yeah, <laughs> so, this is um, yeah. which is to me is a little bit different, right? Because some of those quarterbacks who are athletes that's still playing quarterback, you know, they're one dimensional, right? They either can just run and and not throw very well, but um, you know, like my good friend says, you know, uh, you know, baseball players that have five tools, <laughs> they make big money. <laughs> yeah. So they can they can uh, throw, run, hit, uh, hit for uh, average, and hit for power, right? Mm-hmm. So those guys make a lot of money, and so I, I believe I had all the tools uh, that a quarterback would have. So if I was a quarterback with five tools, I would have five tools. Damon Allen, uh, of course, had all the tools when he played in the Canadian Football League. Joining us here, who's a better athlete, you or your brother Marcus? Well, I would probably always say my brother, but <laughs> and he would probably say it would be me. So, but it's five boys in my family, man. We're all competitive, even if we're going out there playing marbles with each other. And so, um, that's how I really learned um, that competitive edge and nature. Uh, but also, I'm I'm a history buff, and so I've, I've always have a great appreciation for history and uh, understand who our greats are. Whether it's you know you go to Saskatchewan and you know George Reeves in town, or mm-hmm. you know uh, you know Ronnie Lancaster, um, you know Jackie Parker. When I first came to the league, I wanted to know these guys, and I and I had that great that much respect that if I came in our locker room, I can actually go up to them and say, hey, I, I know who you are. And in this this day and age. Uh, you don't get that feeling, and you don't because um, the sense of history. I think it prepared me for the the type of player I wanted to be because the amount of respect that I have for those guys who who truly played the game uh, for the love of it, and because they didn't make a lot of money, but uh, it was just the way how they played the game um, and opened doors for me that I may uh, play quarterback because. You know, you, you, you like those kind of stories, and, and they're motivating. So, 
Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I was uh, doing some research. You do some, uh, with your speaking, you draw some inspiration from Martin Luther King and Jackie Robinson, of course. I wanted to ask you this. Damon Allen, uh, Warren Moon, kind of similar. Warren Moon didn't get his shot coming out of college in the in the States, comes up here to Canada and makes a, a name for himself. You were just talking about legendary quarterbacks. Uh, did you ever kind of face that kind of prejudice, you know, being the black quarterback, maybe, you know, the stupid uh, stereotype of not being smart enough to play quarterback? Well, I mean, that's really the... Um, it, it comes from, uh, uh, I think, in a sense, uh, uh, anger... Um, <laughs> well, it, it just comes from... <laughs> You know that uh, you know just people that you know really just don't understand, and, and it's, so it's kind of ignorant uh, bias, uh, and and that ends up holding on to you know the very uh, thought process of that, and and it, and it actually affected years of you know having an opportunity to see black quarterbacks play the position, right? And mm-hmm. you know, and I think over time people can say that you know the Canadian Football League um, has opened the doors in that way. But I'm pretty sure that, I mean, you still go through, you know, different biases and, and different prejudices, uh, even in our game today, because, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you watch the, the announcement, uh, and the announcers, I mean, and, you know, two guys can throw the same ball, uh, but it's how you describe it to make it seem like one, one guy should have thrown and put it in a better spot than the other. And it's actually the same ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, it, it, in a sense, uh, you do still see some of those things. But yes, I mean, the, the opportunities uh, that we're getting today in this age it has continued to grow, and it's good. And more and more quarterbacks and black quarterbacks, if you want to say, are getting the opportunity to play, especially down south. But um, I think they still have the, the biases, and still yeah. people still, uh, in a sense, believe that uh, you know the other the other counterpart is smarter. Yeah, hey, is this Anton's Pizza? No, this is Amazon Pizza. Amazon purchased Anton's last month. Oh, okay. Well, I'd like to order a pizza. Do you want your usual, sir? My usual? How do you know what I want? According to our records, the last five times you called, you ordered a large pepperoni pizza with thin crust. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that sounds good. May I suggest you order a salad instead? Uh, no. Not really a veggie guy. Your cholesterol is not good. How would you know that? I cross-reference your phone number with medical records and blood tests from your last checkup. Okay, that's it. I'm sick of Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, and everything. I'm moving to an island without internet or cell phone service. Sorry, but that's not possible. Why? You need to renew your passport first. It expired three months ago. Hello. He hung up. Time now for Homegrown, a segment featuring an amateur athlete, coach, or builder helping grow the game of football in B.C. Time now for the fourth quarter stretch, and it is the Homegrown segment. And it's time to head to Prince George, where we catch up with my old Regina Rams junior football teammate, Craig Briere, who's the team president now of the newly formed Prince George Kodiaks of the BCFC as they're the seventh franchise, I believe, in BC Junior Football. What a great announcement recently. And uh, Craig, <laughs> how you feeling, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, football is growing here in Prince George in Northern BC, so I'm excited about the Kodiaks. Excited to, excited to see junior football again. Yeah, so uh, just talk about uh, what a process this has been for uh, you and obviously a, a board of people. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's been about three or four years in the making, but you know, ultimately for me, it's been a, a dream for the last 15, 20 years since I moved to Prince George. Uh, you know, we we worked hard on a proposal, did all of our due diligence, looked at uh, best practices, made a presentation to the BCFC. We were actually granted conditional approval uh, March 16th, right before COVID. So we kind of uh, took the year uh, with this COVID stuff and put all of our our nuts nuts and bolts together and all the pieces to our organization, and now we're ready to go. Now. What what's it like to uh, build a team from the ground floor up? Because you were obviously, uh, like I said, an old teammate of mine with the Rams, a, a, a junior football player. You love football at the grassroots level. But what's it like to build a team from the ground up? Uh, you know, building a team from the ground up is, you know, obviously it's a lot of work. There's a lot of components to it. But when you're controlling everything from start to finish, you can actually, uh, you know, build the team and the program that you want. And, and quite honestly, you know, we were modeling the Rams. Uh, I looked at my experiences with the Rams, looked at the people that were involved, looked at the practices. And, uh, you know, really, we just used that as a template and, and built from there, right? We looked at, uh, you, know, you know, guys like the Hilltops and, and the Thunder and, and uh, took a, a prairie football approach to, to our program. Yeah, BC has a good junior uh, football program, though. You're what? You're going to be the seventh franchise, is that correct? We will be, yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, just talk about, you talked about at the start of this interview, Craig, about how football is growing at the gr- grassroots level in BC. How much has it exploded since you've been there? Uh, we've, seen, we've seen growth. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, we've been doing things a little bit differently. We've uh, we started doing seven-on-seven seven and competing in uh, tournaments in the United States, and that's been a big plus for us. We just started our academy program, which is our high-performance program, and had around 90 kids enrolled in that this year. You know, we're seeing growth. Uh, Prince George is a small community. Uh, Northern BC is very underserviced in football, so really the growth for us over the next 10 years is going to be seeing football in all areas of Northern BC, such as Terrace, Prince Rupert, Dawson Creek. Uh, there's lots of communities here that don't have football but are very willing and open to having it. So, you know, it's been it's been a good growth pattern, but now that we've not launched the junior team, you know, the exposure the publicity, the resources that come along with that are really going to help, you know, propel that into uh, into the stratosphere. How did you come to pick the uniform? Something as simple as that, or maybe not as simple as that. <laughs> well, <laughs> we looked at, uh, again, best practices, and so we, we actually wanted to do Nike jerseys. We, we started there, and then really at the end of the day, uh, we looked at all the different color schemes in uh, in the BCFC and, and Prairie Football Conference, and Kind of gravitated towards, you know, the black and gold, uh, you know, just sort of uh, keeping it simple, but uh, also keeping it unique. You got yourself a good head coach, too. Tell me about it. Yeah, you know, part of our, our, our whole thing is, you know, best practices, looking at what we can do to be different, looking at what we can do to be successful. And I made the decision and our board made the decision to support it where, you know, putting in a full-time head coach, not a part-time guy, not a, you know, a guy that has to have a day job, but having somebody that can be a full-time resource. We started looking for that position about eight or nine months ago. Keon and I have a relationship through 7-on-7 seven seven over the last three or four years. It actually, you know, developed into a friendship. I know him quite well. Uh, you know, we brought in Keon for an interview. Obviously, he's got an amazing, uh, you know, resume on the football side of things. But, you know, more importantly, we were looking for a character guy. We are looking for a guy that had values, had family, you know, had, you know, had all the components so that, you know, when we're putting him in front of a kid that uh, they know that, uh, you know, when they come to the Kodiaks, they're, they're going to be part of a, an organization that has, you know, strong moral values that believes in, in things like family, uh, faith, football, right? Uh, that's actually Keon's phrase. Uh, you know, so really the thing that did it for us was that he's just such a strong character guy. Uh, and, you know, he's going to be 
great on the field, but more importantly, he's going to be amazing off the field. That's Keon Raymond. You're referring to a CFL a football player accomplished on the field, but obviously now you appoint him as the team's first head coach. You know, you play like me, and we probably just we didn't realize what went into it in terms of the behind-the-scenes stuff. We just went to practice. We ate the meals they gave us. We got on the bus and went to the cities. We put on the equipment. We had fun. We didn't know the undertaking behind the scenes. Is there one thing or a couple of things you appreciate now about putting a team together that you didn't appreciate back in, in the uh, football playing days? Most certainly. You know, I, I've reflected a lot over the last little while. And obviously, you know, having guys like Frank McChrystal and Ed Bankowski and, uh, you know, all those guys around, uh, you know, you thought it was easy. You thought it was simple. But really, when you look at how much effort and time they put in, how much, you know, of their, you know, their energy, their passion that has to go into this, you got to have a lot of respect for it. Um, you know, when I look at it now and looking back on our years that we had and the success that we had, you know, we, it was all based off of all that input that came in, you know, on the on the other side of things, right? Us as players, we had it easy. We just had to show up and play. Uh, been having to manage the finances and make sure that everything's in order. Uh, it's a daunting job, and sometimes they don't get the credit that is due. So, you know, I look back on that, and uh, I got a tremendous amount of appreciation, right? And, you know, this is one of the reasons why, you know, we're even part of this, or I'm even part of this, is to give back to the game that gave so much to me. Uh, you know, I think we are taught as Rams that, you know, being a you know being a good football player also means you got to give back, and this is my thing, right? So, in terms of facilities, what kind of training facilities do you have? Is that still a work in progress? So, what you know, what will the kids uh, have at their disposal, so to speak? So, as it stands right now, we've got uh, we've got a stadium in here in Prince George. Uh, it's very similar to uh, uh, to the uh, Langley Rams facility in McLeod Stadium in Langley. Uh, you know, seat around two to three thousand people uh, by the time we're done with it artificial turf so you know the field surface is uh, meets the bcfc standards right now we're just working on our practice facility we've just uh, acquired five acres of land through the city of prince george uh, we've also uh, worked in partnership with the local community center to uh, work with them on uh, you know on having our office space having event space as well as having uh, having a number of different things there so our practice facilities are a work in progress but uh, they will be ready for our season in 2022 uh, our game facilities are already there and, you know, we're just looking at other components that we can add to it. Uh, as far as an organization goes, again, best practices, looking at what we had on the Rams, you know, scholarship programs, financial assistance, uh, making sure that when the players arrive uh, in Prince George that they're receiving a first-class football uh, experience and that they're supported. And, you know, at the end of the day that they want to play here. Uh, you know, that's our goal is to attract players. Uh, but also to uh, to give them the best experience possible. You talk about being a small community, and uh, you know it's growing now. Is is there potential here for the uh, Prince George Kodiaks to be like the the BC Lions of uh, Prince George? You know where the community gets behind the team. Have they been receptive in terms of sponsorship and and reaching out when when you've kind of gone to their doors? Yeah, you know, City Prince George. Although we're small, uh, we're passionate. We support our local programs, our local sports. Uh, you know. Everybody that I've talked to uh, has been extremely supportive. The business community is rallying behind what we're doing. Uh, you know, we did our announcement last Friday, and my phone hasn't stopped. Uh, the amount of people that are commenting, that people that are talking on the street about it, people that are saying how excited they are to have football uh, in Prince George and have junior football, uh, it's really starting to start take off, right? Um, you know, our community will rally upon it. And, you know, we're shooting for three to 5,000 fans a game. And I think it's really achievable in a market such as this because, you know, we're kind of like the Green Bay Packers. Uh, you know, we're tight, we're close, we support. 
more importantly, we like going out and having a good time. So, you know, having having a beer and watching a football game fits right into our mentality. Mm-hmm. Okay, lastly, Craig, uh, just, uh, you know, sum it up. Why is junior football good for the youth? And, and why will this be a good venture, not only in terms of the sporting community, but the town of Prince George? You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, I still go back to, you know, the lessons that we were taught on the Rams. Uh, you know, the phrase that Frank always said was, you know, we're not here to develop football players. We're here to develop, you know, young men. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, that's our goal and objective is to use the sport of football to develop young men and women, to give them opportunities in life, to, you know, you know, give them uh, experiences so that at the end of the day they become better humans. And, you know, I think that's where junior football has, a, has an advantage is that it, it brings all walks in, whether you're university, whether you are going to college, whether you're, you know, whether you're already in the workforce, whether you've got a kid, whether you're married. It brings all those types of, of personalities together and puts them on a team. It's a lot more reflective of, the, of real life. And at the end of the day, uh, it's going to give those guys and those players and, and everybody that experience to be better in life. And, you know, that's going to be a, an advantage for Prince George. You know, we're going to have these great young men, uh, you know, graduating from our program, staying in Prince George, giving back, uh, you know, being good husbands, good, being good fathers, being good, you know, employees. And that's the end of the day. That's the goal, right? Craig, thanks for this, man. It's been a pleasure to catch up with you, and I'm going to eagerly uh, watch how things go in Prince George starting, well, now, but with play in 2022. Have yourself a great day, bud. You too. Take care. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks for checking out the fourth installment of Restore the Roar, which we do each week here on the Growing the Game with Ballsy podcast. Remember to hit up the Facebook page, Growing the Game with Ballsy, like and share the posts. And tell all your football friends about it. That's how we promote and grow the sport that we love, the game of football. Best form of it is word of mouth, and in this case, social media. Thanks for checking us out, and we'll talk to you soon.